Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. And our guest today is veteran journalist, author of the number one bestseller, Niche Down, the incredible Heather Clancy. We're sponsored by the good folks at Oracle NetSuite. NetSuite is the number one company in cloud ERP, and they want to help turbocharge your growth. Check out netsuite.com slash different today. That's netsuite.com slash different. Well, this is a great episode with one of my absolute favorite people, Heather Clancy. We talk about what she's learning as she lives on the leading edge of the green economy. Uh, We talk about the controversy around things like carbon taxes and, most interestingly, how companies are creating new offerings centered on sustainability. Uh, If you care about entrepreneurship, technology, and uh, the future of our world, you're going to love this episode with the incredible Heather Clancy. Go to Lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com for the show notes and more on Heather. Now, hey-ho, let's go. The Loop project, it's called Loop, is based on what I call the Milkman model. He, Tom Zaki also calls it the Milkman model. And I cannot believe you don't know what that means, Christopher. No, when I'm I was completely gr- ignorant of the cool <laughs> new shit. <laughs> when I was growing up in New Jersey, I mean, there I know were- what Milkman is for the love of whoever you love. Okay, well, so yeah, so think about it. So what did the Milkman do? The Milkman would go to your local dairy pick up milk and, and other items, you know, probably butter and eggs and so forth. But the milk would come in this glass bottle, right? And you and your family would drink the milk. Yep. You'd give them the old Rinse bottle. the milk bottle out. You put it back in the milk box and the guy would come and take it away. And then over time, you know, you'd get new milk and the bottle is getting refilled and cleaned and, and, and reused and so forth. The, the loop idea that TerraCycle just launched um, right around Memorial Day is based on the same idea. So you can get a white vinegar in that model. So you use the white vinegar, you turn around, you send the bottle back, it gets refilled. Um, Haagen-Dazs ice cream, it comes in this wonderful container that is not just um, reusable, but it's also insulated. So if you could take your you could take your uh, your ice cream out with you uh, into the backyard, and a couple hours later, yeah, it's not all melted all over the place. You could, you so it's it like they're home. delivering Hagen Dazs. You know those um, those awesome Yeti coolers. It's like I your Hagen Dazs comes in its own cooler. Oh, oh right, right, right. I, I've heard of those. I haven't actually seen one in action, but but yeah, I have um, one. They're incredible. Huh? You put shit in there for I don't know. Feels like forever, and it doesn't. Like it's still cold and icy, and you can have beers in there for a long time. <laughs> so okay, and so that's one benefit, one big benefit. But the other benefit is that that you didn't go out and buy some styrofoam cooler from the whatever the Seven Eleven, the Wawa. Here we have Wawas. You know, you and so pe- so people go to the beach. They bring their cooler to the beach, right? And often it's this horrible material that just can't be reused and it's just horrible for the environment. And so the idea behind Loop is that people, that big consumer brands like Procter & Gamble and Unilever and 
and, and a number of others should be thinking about reusable containers. And so it becomes, they're now they're, they're designing using aluminum, using glass, um, using all of these different products that, that you'd think about as old packaging, right? But, um, but they're kind of, they're, they're beautiful. They, they, there's people that are making the design, you know, that you, put, you can put your, that bottle of soap on the counter and it looks pretty. So there, there's, uh, so for the packaging designers, it's kind of cool because they can kind of think about um, different marketing and, and uh, brand affinity sorts of uh, ideas. And for the, the, the company, they can talk about the fact that they're not creating all these single-use plastics, you know, that, that nine times, how many often, do you recycle your shampoo bottle? I mean, uh, how, I, mean how, I, I don't have a shampoo bottle, but I, <laughs> 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 but I get the point. I don't know. I don't know if, if well, if, so, if you know, or, individuals think about recycling things, you know, you're probably trying to recycle some things from your kitchen, maybe. Yeah. Bathroom, there's a lot of plastic containers in your in your bathroom that could be recycled as well, except they often don't even make it to the recycling bin. People just don't necessarily put that together. But the bigger point is that um, you know, so so as the companies are trying to think about the packaging in a very different way than they have in the past, they're trying to step it back. So it becomes a brand differentiator. Um, and it just, it's just a new, it's an, it's, it's an experiment. I can tell you about sort of the, the ahas and the things that are kind of, they haven't thought about in a moment, but I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool concept, um, that they've this come is up with. This pioneered by, uh, Tom at Terra uh, Cycle. Yeah. 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 Terra, Terra Cycle is, is announced that they, they've worked in collaboration now with some pretty big brands, um, Procter and Gamble, I mentioned before, and, I'm not going to remember the whole list right now, but uh, some pretty sub- some pretty significant players. So it's not just like a tangential green brand, you know. And these are people that are really trying to rethink their relationship with their customers. So and do they you know, tie do they tie it in? I assume to a subscription service as well. Yeah. So what happens? And and I've I've placed an order myself. I am a customer. So full full disclosure. I'm trying to try this out. You basically place your order and. Um, you go through and you pick out what you want. It's not a subscription so much as is you, you, I mean, I suppose you can subscribe to refills. I haven't gotten there yet because I haven't used enough of my cascade dishwashing uh, tablets to, to do it. But um, when you are done with the product, you know, so you, I've used the last tablet, I put the container back into this big tote bag. It's a, it's a tote bag. It comes basically um, protected with insulation in case you have the cold stuff, but also um, protective packaging that uh, will keep the bottles from breaking. You know, you want a glass bottle breaking and, or keep it upright so that it doesn't get shaken up too much. And you, you basically send it back. And so the loop is working with UPS, which, you know, basically you, you kind of reverse, you, you, you put in a call, you, you put in a, a, a call, a note for pickup on your account, and it come, they come and they, they pick it up. Um, now, and also they, they actually have a couple of retail partners, which is, a little, which is a little bit newer and I haven't figured out how they're working with them yet, maybe using their distribution warehouses, um, but Kroger and Walgreens are involved with this. So they've got these um, sort of old school drugstore chain and, and supermarket involved in helping with the logistics and where's the product, get it from here to here and 
then UPS steps in and picks it up. Um, so the things that are kind of an aha, like gotchas about it though, or like things you, you wouldn't necessarily think of, like, for example, um, like the, I wouldn't say that the prices themselves are so much more expensive, but you have to pay a deposit fee, right? So they're sending you this beautiful container, they're going to want it back. So you're going to pay a deposit fee. So boom, four bucks, five bucks, whatever it is. And, and it ranges depending on the product. The all, other thing, and, and this is um, someone I was commiserating with, is that the sizes of the packaging are kind of uh, creative. Let's just say that way. So yes, this would look cool on your kitchen count on your kitchen counter, maybe, or in, in, you know, wherever, but, oh shoot, it doesn't fit in the pantry. Like, so the pasta that came in your, you know, this really lovely container, it's too tall to get on the shelf in your kitchen cabinet. So there's some things that are definitely going to be, you know, Ooh, you know, exactly. So I, there, I was reading where this one fellow took the pasta out of the really pretty aluminum container and then stuck it in a cardboard container so he could like put it in the cabinet and get it off the counter because you're not going to want to put certain things on a counter so it's just a really uh, wonderful experiment um limited products and as i mentioned before um you know some some weird things as a consumer you're like what why would i do that you know but we'll we'll see is this what's meant by this term uh circular economy yeah. So it's one of the things that's meant by a circular. Um, I think for, for many individuals, and there's a lot of different reasons for this, the idea of circular is that, um, that something can be reused in some way. So it, it's not necessarily recycled, it's potentially remanufactured. So the, uh, actually the, the IT industry, which we know and love very very well between the two of us yes. really did pioneer this um, when they started taking back all of their computers. I mean, probably what, 25 years ago. I mean, I was, when I was involved with computer reseller news, it was starting to become a thing is you, you took back your, your systems, you gave them back to whoever it was, Dell or Hewlett Packard or IBM or whoever it was at the moment. And you, they would take that thing and they would remanufacture it. They would take it apart. And it wasn't that they were going to recycle the plastic, although they might, they might use that plastic and melt it down and use the resin for printer cartridges or for another chassis within another system. But they also are equally as um, uh, likely to take that piece and pull it out and use it over here with uh, uh, another system, like update the memory and put in a new CPU and maybe the school wants to buy it. So it's not the newest thing, but it's, it's a thing that someone else could reuse and get a second life out of. Um, so like the, the whole idea of circular economy has so many different nuances. So that's one of them. Another one of them is, is sort of the, um, the thing I mentioned before about, about plastics. So a lot of, um, focus on single use plastics right now. And why would you use this stuff? You can only use it once. So there, as you've seen, I, I don't know about you, um, probably in Santa Cruz, you've had this forever, but my little town in New Jersey is even considering a single use plastic bag ban. And, you know, so it's just, people are very conscious of plastic weight. bags where you are. They, we still do. You guys have it at the state. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh, not an it, issue. It, so if you go into a store around here, you, have you to, don't have your own bag. You get, you have to pay for it. You feel like you've committed 
murder or something. Like you, like you have to have a story for why you're a bad person. Like, oh, I, I, they were in the car, but I, then I forgot. <laughs> like, no, you bring your own bags around here. It's like, yeah. And I can't remember how long it's been law, but I mean, and then they'll say to you at the checkout, you know, would you like your own bag for 25 cents or, or would you have your own, like they charge you some, you know, yeah. amount of money if you don't have your own bag. Right. And, uh, and, and, you know, we've tried to get fairly aggro about it. So for a simple example is um, we told our dry cleaner, Hey, no plastic bags. Like, Why do you need a plastic bag around your shit from the dry cleaner? You're going to carry it out of the dry cleaner. You're going to walk across the parking lot. You're going to put it in your car. You're going to drive home and put it in your closet. And so, yeah, we don't have, we don't even do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Now that's not law, but the, the, the thing about bring your own bags. Yeah. You gotta, you go grocery shopping, you gotta bring your own bags. You know, and I, I, am I a fan of like being hard on consumers that way? No, not really. But it does get you think you're thinking about it in a way that, that you haven't been in the past. And, um, you know, I went out and actually got, I mean, I didn't know that my town was going to put this in place, but I've been actually, you know, I'm trying to be a better steward of the planet myself. And I'm sick of seeing plastic bags. I mean, they're blowing on my property. It's like, where do these things come from? Um, you know, the produce bags, right? You go to the grocery store and you want to buy mushrooms or whatever and you have the plastic bag you put them in and you take it home and what do you do with it you chuck it or whatever maybe you keep your stuff in it um maybe you use it for a dog <laughs> you take oh, you know no. take your dog out and you pick it up um but just the point being that these things are intended for single use and it didn't used to be this way i mean plastic i i we have tupperware in this house that's probably I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's, so it's definitely 20 years old and we reuse it and we use it in it. We keep, we don't use single use plastic because of it. So to go back to the, you know, sort of the loop thing, I mean, this idea that you can reuse something. So you're reusing a package, you're reusing a piece of clothing. So, um, you know, everyone has done the concept of handy, hand-me-downs is nothing new, but now we have these circular, um, the rent, the runway, we have all of these in organizations becoming much more, um, uh, credible because they're thinking about how to create a product that's reused. So you don't buy the product, you rent the product or you, you subscribe to it for a certain amount of time. So maybe you subscribe to a spring wardrobe. And you wear those clothes for whatever, the spring, and then you send them back. And you, they're not going to be in your closet, but they're going to be sent somewhere else to someone maybe who needs the clothing or to a different country that has a different season or whatever. But the, the, the fact is you're not going to own it. It's not going to sit in your closet then for the rest of its life and maybe your life. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, most of the know. clothes we wear, of course, sits there most of the time. Mm -hmm. now, it's the same mm -hmm. insight around... Lyft and Uber and Zipcar Car, and all that. Exactly. It's like, oh, I have this asset, which for most people is the second um, most valuable asset that they have uh, uh, beyond their home if they own a home. Some people, so it's their primary asset, and it's like it sits there ninety percent of the time doing nothing. Exactly. Now I'm trying to actually remember. I don't know exactly the metrics, but um, real, real, right? Real real. real, real. Have you heard of them? No. Is that real, like real? Yes, yes. Consign they're a consignment shop. Ah. They're a consignment shop. Um, they and they raised 
300 million in their IPO last week. Um, I think, what are they valued at? They've got a market cap of $2.39 billion. Wow, how did I And what are they? They're a consignment shop. You gotta be kidding me. Luxury. Seriously, they're a luxury online consignment shop. So, right, right? So this is a, that's, that's um, again, another familiar term for you, product as a service. Right, yeah. so they've well, paid it. But so, so real, real but is a subscription thing, or what is it? It's a subscription thing. People, um, they can. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a subscription thing, but it's a place where you can buy secondhand. It's like your secondhand consignment shop. Like you put your your piece of clothing on on this. Like I, I have all these gowns I, I had used to have to wear at these, you know, banquets for my my old job. And I, what do I do with this thing? I'm gonna use it. I can. It, but it's a beautiful piece of clothing. How can I get rid of it? Some, I only have a limited market in my hometown, but if I put it on this consignment shop, the real real, I might be able to sell it and someone else could reuse it. So that's the idea you know, behind amazing. the real real. Uh, I was yeah. an angel investor in an online, um, you know, essentially exact same thing in 1998. <laughs> and it was a great idea. It was just too early. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that's a, a good point because um, there's a couple of dynamics behind the, I think the success of something like this. Number one is that, and, and I hate to use the M word, but the M word, the millennial word is these people are, are generally less, um, you know, I'll use the stereotype. They're generally less inclined to buy something outright. Um, well, they don't do like, well, what do you need to buy a dress you're going to wear once? Right. Well, I'll go, I'm going to actually give you another example okay. you'll really appreciate in a moment. Um, but, but, but also, they, they're probably more urban, so they don't have the space. Like, yeah. Where are you going to put the stuff? Like that is an, That's another big consideration is people move to cities. You don't have these huge closets. You don't have the, you know, the, the place you want to put things. And that brings me to a great example because um, you will appreciate this. REI is really working on this too. And uh, – Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah, so one of the coolest products, like think about this for a minute. They've created like a a product that is like uh, basically all the stuff you need to go for a camping weekend, right? So your tent, your, I don't know, tarps, um, maybe a cook stove, whatever. Like you just, you know, insert, insert what you need here. But they're, 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 playing with the notion of, of offering these kits to people that you, you don't want to, uh, you want to have a tent in your garage for the, you know, 49 weekends of the year, you don't use it. Like I, I need it, to have camping equipment or I'm not right with myself, but I understand <laughs> the point. <laughs> but, 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 you know, if someone's in a city and they only go camping once or twice a year, they might not want all that gear. No, I totally so they, get it. Yeah, and so they you can rent for it. on any kind of regular basis, why would you need that, right? Yeah, exactly. So REI is playing with this model as well. And again, because of the millennial influence, so people that don't have the space or that don't want to own something. And then, this is really cool, I, you, when, when, let's just say after, I don't, I, I'm not, just going to make up a total number here. Uh, I don't know. How, how, how long, how many times did you use your tent before it falls apart? Or you need to really repair it or service it or something like, well, I mean, you might have a little tear or whatever and that's, you know, nothing, but like, I mean, what like 25, 30 times, 50 times. I don't know. I mean, like how I many mean, times? I don't know. I have a big Agnes tent, which is, they're a great company. Oh, right, right, right. 
Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, shit, I've used that tent. Well, let's just say. So I, I don't know. Okay. I, now, you know, I'm not a hardcore backcountry person, but I mean, yeah, I think, I think you get a lot out of a tent. But, you know, let's say you get 50 trips out of a tent. I don't know. I'm making that up. I have no idea. Okay. Well, let's just I'm say that. More than that. But anyway. Well, so, you know, you know, what happens with rental cars is they get used a certain amount of time and then they update the fleet and the old cars go to, to resale. They get sold by the company into, yeah. you know, secondhand. Or, so the same idea applies here. REI would then take the, the equipment that maybe is a, you know, it's a little worn, maybe it's not as new, maybe there's new products that came out and they could resell it as part of their sort of reused or um, secondhand um, products. So they both do rentals and and uh used stuff or as we say today pre-owned 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 but the pre-owned stuff could avert um, emerge from the the rentals so you kind of you've created a sale so it gets rented and then bought you know instead yeah. of you know instead of bought and then sold like on a consignment thing uh, like so that's what this whole circular economy thing is is trying these are to... just elements of it i mean this okay. is just this is scratching the surface. This is also, you know, at the business to business level, you know, a company like to go back to Dell uh, or any computer company taking back their product and, and Apple, actually, for example, Apple is, is pulling the tin and the metals out of its iPhones now and trying to re-smelt them and reuse them and, um, you know, into the manufacturing process. So it gets, it gets to that level too, is, is, is you want to reclaim some of these really rare materials. Um, and reuse them in some way in, in a product. So there's so many different, it's, it's remanufacturing, it's reuse, it's recycling, it's, you know, I don't know, I, I, I put your RE here. I mean, it's yeah. just, it's many different, um, there's many different flavors of, of uh, what's and going I'm on. Always, and I, I, all this stuff sounds wonderful to me and I consider myself <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know if I fit the definition. I don't know what the definition of an environmentalist, but if if you're somebody who gives a shit about the the world and you try to generally not be a person who, you know, you do you do less bad things than good, or at least you're trying to. You know, we've got solar on the house, and we do rain capture for water, and okay. you know, and I send checks to the World Wildlife Fund, and you know, all these things that I try <laughs> to do, and. Mm -hmm. pick up cigarette butts and you know i try to be a good somewhat and i bring my plastic my my reusable bags and you know so i try to be a good human being but i i'm curious you know if you think about some of the if you think about some of these recycling programs is the carbon required to do the program worth the recycle that's the thing i always wonder mm -hmm. like is there some and i don't i'm not trying to be cynical or shitty but yeah like Help me yeah, is there, I, is there an understanding of, mm -hmm. is this a really a good thing or is it mm -hmm. not a good thing or is it, mm -hmm. is it help, help me understand that part. Of yeah, it. no, I totally agree with you on that. But like, let's just use loop as an example. Um, you know, like what are the transportation emissions re required to take the stuff back versus the, I mean, it becomes, it becomes a matter of like, very that's why this stuff is so hard. It's so complicated. There is no simple answer. Um, and I don't know. The answer is I don't know the, the footprint of a, plastic container over time versus the reuse, you know, how many times does it get, re, you know, at what point does that become a, a, a higher carbon footprint than the plastic thing? I don't know. All I know is that you have to take oil out of the ground to make plastic, right. you know, so, and that's, 
that's a huge footprint. I don't know. So the answer is, I don't know what the message, they're trying to actually come up the UL, which is, um, done, you know, you, you're very familiar with them. They have a lot of, um, footprint. Um, uh, he was one of our earliest guests and we just had him back. His name is Christian Onshoots. He's the chief mm-hmm. digital officer of UL. Mm-hmm. And he's a former Marine and he's a, uh, you know, he's an unbelievable guy. So they have a whole division devoted to sustainability and yeah, no, they've done a lot that. of work on life cycle product measurement, right? You know, the measuring the life cycle of a product. Maybe now I should ask him to come on and educate me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. I mean, there's just, there's a really cool, they're, they're, they're really, um, trying to get their arms around it as well. I mean, it is, you're absolutely, you have absolutely every right to be cynical because it does. No, I'm not trying to be I mean, cynical in that sense. I, it's like, no, it's a great question. It's, it's the like pushback. Teslas and Priuses and stuff. And look, I, I think we need to probably go in this direction. I'm not trying to be, I'm not that guy. No, I don't I think, do you're think we guy. need to be the guy. Like the one thing, I don't know, maybe you can help me with this is, you know, I wonder about these batteries. You hear these horror stories of, of the long-term environmental impact of these, um, these batteries that we use for electricity. And so, you know, I wonder like, is, is, the, is, the, is the environmental footprint required to manufacture a Tesla mm. uh, any better or different? I don't know. And then what's the long-term impact of having all these lithium-ion batteries all over the place that we, unless you're going to educate me, educate me, but I, last I checked, we don't know how to recycle these things and we don't know nope. how to store these things in a safe way. And so, and I'm not debating whether we should or should be working on getting off fossil fuels, but I just, to your point, I just don't know, you know, how much better do these things make the world? I don't know. I, I, but mm-hmm. I, and I think accepting them blindly is a good thing is, is dumb. I think we need to understand. And I mean, who understands these things? Do you, do you know where we're at vis-a-vis, um, you know, a Prius or some of the, or, or a Tesla and how the actual environmental impact of them? So no, I don't have a, an environmental impact statement for either of those kinds of batteries. What I do know is that the companies um, that are that are making them and in, in are basically giving a second life to them. So, for example, um, I'm trying to think now which company it was. Um, I'll have to look it up in a second while we're talking. But there is one of the car companies has a program where the batteries are being you reused as part of the storage. You know, you just mentioned, okay, these, these like big batteries that are going on the grid, like, and, and okay. So do, I don't know, do you have one on your, on your um, house? Do you have a battery for your solar panel? So like if your solar, if, if the sun doesn't shine for a few days, which is entirely likely in Santa Cruz is, um, is, is there a battery backup for you? No, we don't, we don't have that yet. We should, we're, it's, I, I think, I don't know, you know the technology way better than I, but my guess is the technology is at a place now where we probably could, and it would make sense, right? For our home. Right. Yeah, it, it would. I mean, it, it, that's one of the things that Tesla, um, Tesla has been trying to sell is sort of the home battery thing, right? You, you, uh, uh, put, put these things, um, uh, on your solar panels. And that way, if, if, you know, God forbid the power goes out or whatever, you still have it. Cause sometimes the way that the, the solar panels are set up is you, you won't, you won't be able to use them because you have to feed back to the grid and all this, whatever complicated, but it's Nissan, um, is one of the companies that is, uh, is taking old 
electric vehicle batteries and using them for other purposes on the grid. Um, General Motors is doing the same thing with Chevy Volt batteries. So when it's not quite enough to be um, powering a car, they've, they've put them into other uses they're taking. So, so that's like not, you know, you're not recovering the, the, this stuff that's in them. And I don't know the, the environmental footprint of the actual product itself, the lithium and how, you know, everyone talks about lithium shortages and there's never going to be enough batteries. And I think that'll be a problem that's solved by, you know, like other materials. I don't think that's as germane. I do agree with the notion that, you know, we should be circumspect about like the things we're creating to get rid of the old things that we want. <laughs> it's definitely, we, we can't overuse those too, right? We have to be really circumspect about that. And I think that's part of the issue is that there's really not very good numbers on any of this. Like, yeah. I'm just, I knew I yeah. remembered reading it and I found it. There's a, te- there's a wired article from uh, 2016. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure things have changed somewhat, but um, this article sort of says, yes, they emit less. Of course, we understand all that. And, uh, but uh, the manufacturing of a, te- this is te- Tesla. So the, he- the headline is Tesla's electron- electric cars aren't as green as you might think. Yes. And they build an argument that says they're, they're from an environmental impact point of view, they make a bigger impa- impact to manufacture them. It says uh, manufacturing electric vehicle generates more carbon emissions than building a conventional car, mostly because of its battery, says the Union of Concerned Scientists, a charity, by the way, I support. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's that. Uh, and then there's, they, they bring up what, and what about the fucking batteries? Cause we can't put them in landfills and we don't know what to do with them uh, and so forth. And so I, I just, I think this, this, I still think it's progress and I still support it. I bought one of the early Priuses. Um, uh, I don't have it anymore, but, um, but I don't know. It just seems like nothing's free. Like we're trying all this oh, stuff. Um, but you know, it's a, it feels a little whack-a-mole to me. And I, I don't think it means we shouldn't be trying. So I'm not that guy, but I'm also the guy that goes, Hmm, you know, you see these sanctimonious, uh, uh, Tesla drivers and it's like, yeah, it's a cool car and all that, but I don't know that you're any better than somebody driving, you know, a regular gas car. I'm certainly not sure you get to be sanctimonious. <laughs> don't buy a Tesla, buy a chef, you know, buy one of the other companies, <laughs> buy GM. So because they, she, General Motors has spent a lot of time making their manufacturing much more, um, environmentally sound. Like, oh, totally. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like the knock on the Wired article, and you don't know this because Tesla doesn't talk. No, they are not. They're very not very transparent. But General Motors has spent a lot of time making their manufacturing process much more environmentally sound through renewable energy investments. So there, a lot of their their um, plants are now run off of renewable energy. They've gone in serious made serious investments in zero waste and taking everything that they're creating and using it for a different purpose. Um, and that part, by the way, that's part of the circular. Right? Lean manufacturing loves circular ideas. I mean, because this is just like you're, you're using everything. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Kohler, by the way, you know, like tile manufacturer about like, quote, the waste scraps that, that, of tiles and how now they've created an entire new product line out of that. Hmm, I mean, that's a, and, pardon me? What do they do with the waste scraps of tile? They just take the, they, they basically put them, they, they melt them down. They take the, the stuff that's, quote, not 
quality that wouldn't make make it in one line and it would be yeah. normally thrown out. They've just taken it and create a new, it's a crackle line. Um, they use like byproducts of smelting to make the colors. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty so cool they're, what, what you know, they're doing. Because the, the Tom Zaki uh, point of view, which, you know, I had never thought about, which maybe makes me dumb, but <laughs> this notion that the idea of waste is a human creation that of course in mother nature, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I see it with our hens, right? The hens eat food. They, uh, they, and they, it's interesting. I was talking to a gardener about this recently and the value of having hens, you know, they, they eat bugs that are invasive and they tend to do with weeds. <laughs> and, you know, so they, of course you got to buy them food and shit too. But like, anyway, so they do all this stuff and the, the th- shit they do is a generally good thing in a garden. And then of course they shit like crazy and the shit you put back into the garden and it all works together in this virtuous circle. And it's kind of a fascinating thing. And I had never really thought about it until Tom said that, yeah, this idea of waste is a completely human invention that in mother nature, everything gets used. You and I, when we die, we go into the ground and then we get mm-hmm. used up, right? And mm-hmm. then away we go. We're part of this cycle. Yeah. Um, and so this idea of applying that um, mother nature uh, circular concept is, is a very fascinating one. Yeah. And, and that's so you think they this call the future that- of manufacturing. Well, they call that biomimicry. 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 I'm surprised you haven't ter- heard the term, but that's the idea of looking to nature for design ideas. And um, the you mean after people, it's all said and done, maybe Mother Nature's got some shit figured out that we don't. <laughs> yeah, like how is the line? Like you know, people. Um, oh gosh, now I'm gonna blank out on all the examples. But the bullet train, for example, is is designed that way to mimic a bird. And there's, there's different materials um, of water resistance that are mimic snake skin and, and other, like it, it, people are looking to these, these things in nature and they're saying, oh, that's a really good idea. Like, how can I design this material to have that quality or texture or something or color to be able to mimic what is going on in nature? And so, um, the, 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 I mean, the person at, at Kohler that helped come up with that product line, by the way, it took several years for them to figure it out. It's like, you, you think about things in a different way. She went out and, and had a, a, an education. She was a designer kind of like got fed up with like the impact that she was having kind of had one of these epiphanies and went and took this biomimicry course. And, um, so I do think there's a lot, there's a lot of interrelated concepts. That one is definitely part of the, the whole circular movement. And, but I do think, like I said before, um, you've probably heard of zero waste manufacturing, uh, you know, initiatives for years. Again, that's because they're taking this stuff that was quote waste and they're somehow reincorporating it into the, the resource stream for a product or, or something. So it's just, um, it's all, I mean, it's been, it's, this circular stuff is, is one of those things that there have been a lot of things pointing to it for years and years and years. And everyone's like, Oh, it's become a thing. You know, it's like, uh, okay. Yeah, it was, this was not sudden. <laughs> this was just pe- people kind of working their way towards it. And now sort of the urgency of it is maybe more set is more sudden that if you, if you will, but it's not, there's a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes. Um, to- but I mean, the interesting thing about this of course is uh, farmers have known this for Mm-hmm. millennial right i mean so so that 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 that's an, an a, a, a no kidding or whatever and you use the environment to your advantage and 
uh, and so forth and so on. Um, the interesting thing about what you're saying is people are looking at manufacturing, people are looking at tile making, people are looking at these different areas that are not necessarily farming uh, and saying, how do we do this circular thing? How do we have zero waste? And that, that is an escalating trend. It's an escalating trend. Yeah. I mean, the people that are, um, that have been working on sustainability for a while are seeing this as a, is their sort of next phase, but it, it just, the, the thing that it, it takes though, is sort of a systemic approach you can't, it's not going to happen with this chief sustainability officer. It's just not going to happen at that level. It has to be integrated into the thinking of the company. Um, and it's just, it's just, you know, I, I, I love, I, I was just trying to remember and another example I'm going to cite to you is so like Dell, I, I, and I, I, I really don't love Dell. <laughs> Not that I don't love Dell, but I, I don't mean to keep using Dell, but they, one of their partners in their sort of zero waste strategy is, um, is General Motors. I mean, they, they give some of their materials over to General Motors, which then uses it for other things. So it's like, I think, what is it? Um, auto glass. Like, so some of the stuff that they're collecting is going into auto glass. You know, it's just, it's amazing. It's just, people are being creative in ways that I, I, I'm awed by just, um, but you know, it requires, it requires what I love the way to I'll put it is like a closed loop requires open loop thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Because you got to think about where that thing is going. What you're collecting might not be good for your reuse, but it might be good for some other company's reuse, you know? So yeah. another man's garbage is, is another <laughs> woman's treasure, so to speak. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So Now, I also wanted to talk to you about sort of what's going on in this whole area of carbon takeout. And I'll, I'll never forget a conversation I had years ago now with the, the guy who at the time was the head of climate research for the World Wildlife Foundation or fund, WWF. And... Um, you know, he was talking about how um, Priuses and Teslas and all those things are great, but the reality is, um, you know, we burn coal for electricity on planet Earth, and we do a lot of that in the United States, and we're doing a ton of it in the rest of the world, and we're doing a ton of it in China, and he just said, look, the bottom line is there's just way too much carbon in the air. And, um, and, and we can all drive electric cars all we want, but until we stop burning coal um, for electricity and doing other, th other things that are environmentally damaging, particularly as it relates to CO2, um, all, all the electric cars in the world aren't gonna save us. And so um, I, ever since then, I've tried to keep an eye, at least a little bit, not, not at the level that you do on, well, okay, so reduction is one thing, good. Reuse is another, good. But what about takeout? So is, are there any interesting things going on in the area mm -hmm. of carbon takeout? Yeah, a couple things. Um, first of all, I mean, if you think about the area of carbon removal, you, you alluded to agriculture earlier. And um, the, the notion that you could take carbon dioxide out of the air is nothing new. Um, that's why everyone talks about planting forests because you can you know, pull suck. If you're going to put this much out, you know, like for a long time, the the you know the first sort of um, attempt to address 
carbon emissions was to go out and plant forests. Like, I'm going to still keep burning all this stuff, but I'm going to go plant forests. So it's okay. No problem. So that kind of didn't work, right? But what um, many of the smartest companies now are doing is they're looking not just at their what they need to use for their operations now, right? So yes, they're trying to use more renewable energy. They're trying to switch to solar. They're trying to use this clean power, if you will. But um, even, even if we keep doing that, like at the rate we are, which is pretty impressive, the stuff is still in the air. So we have to take it down. We have to um, do this. And there's two really big ways that this is starting to happen. The, the dialogue is focused on two, two different areas. One is the notion of regenerative agriculture. So you'll see a lot of the food companies are talking about this concept of uh, moving a bit away from the, the sort of huge industrial farms that, that have become the norm because everything has to be big and, and scale and process and you're know, like, it's got to be big or it's not going to work. So they're now they're rethinking how they, they work with their farmers and they're encouraging their farmers to um, do things like, um, you know, plant, plant different crops. Like, so cross planting of crops and maybe they have on part of their land, they have uh, cattle, but on the other part, they have stuff that can help the cattle graze. So they're like looking at different land use ideas. And so there's a sort of movement coming out in, in the United States and elsewhere that is encouraging um, farmers to do this. And so the way you look at soil is, it turns out that soil is a really good way to sequester the carbon. So the more you do this, the more that can be put back into the soil. So um, you'll hear like everyone from Kellogg to General Mills to Tyson, believe it or not, the, the, the food company, the meat company, if you will, looking at ways of, of doing this with their farmers and with their ranchers. Cause a lot of them still buy from independent organizations. Then they sort of, they can't, I mean, I suppose they can dictate their process, but they're trying to encourage these organizations to move away from things like, you know, chemical fertilizer that has lots of bad stuff in it and move more towards um, organic fertilizer and, and so forth. So that's one thing. Um, so even, you know, aside from forests, you've got the regenerative agriculture movement having happening, which is kind and of important, right? Momentum there? You know, there is, like I mentioned, there's, there's um, some of the bigger food companies have, have really started figuring out that they need to be working more closely with their farmers. And this all, by the way, started happening before the, the China tariffs just absolutely whacked the U S farming industry. Um, like so many of these people have lost their, their primary buyers. Right. And they've having, they're having to go out and rethink who they sell to. There's, I forget what the, I, I should probably not should even, I should not mention even the, the number, but it's like double digit increases in bankruptcies. Wow. The, the, I didn't so the U.S. I, yeah, I, I mean, it's ridiculous. You were a soy farmer, you were in a lot of trouble right now, but I didn't realize it was, it was. It's, yeah, there's lots of different things happening over there. But, but, so the, the point being that um, the, the big company, the big food companies to figure out then in order to meet their goals, they have to work with their, if you will, their supply chain and help them become better stewards of the environment. And so many of them are starting to look at those programs. I can't say with any authority that, that they're like successful. They're still like, again, it comes down to measurement. How do you measure? Like how much carbon dioxide have you sequestered by doing, by using this fertilizer instead of this, or by putting, you know, changing this crop over to this crop and, 
putting a bioswale here to help with the water. So you have to water, you know, I mean, they, they don't, they don't have the measurement for that yet, but they are, there's a lot of talk around that. Um, so that's one thing that we're watching. The other thing is after a number of years of sort of like poo-pooing the, the carbon capture technologies, we've seen some pretty big investments. Um, there was a, a round in like mid-March, $68 million uh, a company called Carbon Engineering. So they're Canadian. Woo um, and one of their investors now, lo and behold, is, is Mr. Um, Bill Gates. You know, so, so they're one of the companies that uh, his organization has put money into. And their idea is to basically what they call, um, they're taking atm atmospheric carbon dioxide out of the air. So it doesn't really matter where they are. Um, like, but they're usually sited near an industrial facility of some sort, right? So they could be near a, an old power plant. They could be near an old um, plant. It doesn't matter where they are, but they could be. Um, and they, they're up and running and they're starting to basically, uh, you know, pull it out of the air. So it's like sucking What's the, the stuff out of the company again, the Canadian company. This one, this one is called, there's, so there's a, there's a few um, that are of particular interest. One is carbon engineering, which is the one I just mentioned. And I think they have the most venture capital. I haven't checked in the last week or so, but their total backing is something like a hundred million. And so they're focused on building um, direct, what they call direct air capture. So they're sucking this stuff out of the air. It's like, you know, and the, um, so, and by the way, the, the, what, one thing that's really happening that's, that's pretty intriguing and why maybe why this is becoming much more a thing right now is that the oil companies, the, the big gas and oil companies are really starting to look at the search because they're also in their, um, they're getting more pressure from their investors to kind of show proof that they're being better citizens. Now, I, you know, I, I don't know how, it, we have to rely on this to your point earlier, this stuff is not going to go away. We use yeah. gasoline, we use natural gas. We're going to be using it for many years. Um, and so how do you make the process of using it more, le more efficient and, and more energy and environment efficient, right? You, you talk about energy efficiency. How about environmental efficiency? Like how does it impact us? Um, and so the oil and gas companies are getting very interested in, in these companies. So you have carbon engineering, which I just mentioned. Um, there is a company out of uh, Switzerland, which is super cool. Um, they're called Climeworks, um, much newer company. Um, and what makes them interesting is they're sort of going, they're, they're going, they can go big, but they can, they're also can go small. So they can put their um, technology at an existing manufacturing site, pull the stuff out, create the carbon dioxide. And they're doing things like they have a deal with um, one of the Coke bottlers in Europe to use the carbon dioxide that they're collecting for like carbonating beverages. So like, how do you use this stuff once you've captured it is a pretty big deal. Um, like, do you, do you stick it in the ground? Do you stick it in a capture facility? Do you find value in some chemical process? Do you send it, you know, do you put it in some, some organizations talking about burying concrete, you know, like using carbon dioxide as a make, way of making concrete and sort of maybe making that a, a process more efficient wow. um, and less carbon intensive. Um, so I don't know. It's just, and it's the, just a, it's the technology approach to doing that. No, it's fascinating. Yeah. And look, I've heard things about, you know, certain seaweeds that are, we need to grow farms of seaweed that suck out high, you know, so uh, I think all these things are fascinating. Do you see a day 
Heather, where um, we can neutralize this, where we have enough between technology and planting trees and seaweed, and I don't know what the hell else, <laughs> that we get to a place where um, uh, on planet Earth, we are taking out as much as we're putting in, and we at least sort of stop the situation now, which is, of course, we're, we're putting in way too much. I wish I could say I could see a day, um, but the, you know, the problem is that there's so many, there's so many fights at the policy level and the federal level. And I, you know, I don't want to get all political, but there's some really great work going on at the commercial level. Um, there's some good support at the federal level for research now into this particular pro, uh, technology. Like there, there didn't used to be money behind this, and now there is. So there's, a, there's a tax credit for investing in this sort of thing, and there's now some federal, um, some of the programs that they have, like in, in the advanced research um, agencies, are like focused on helping um, fund this stuff. But like at the, there's, you know, aside from the the companies that really care and that are trying to address this and trying to change their habits. There's no, there's no economic lever. You saw what happened in Oregon, right? Have you been following that? Mm -mm. We were trying to pass a, like a carbon tax up in Oregon and the, half the legislature walked out because they didn't want to vote on it. I mean, the whole idea of a carbon tax or, 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 or charge, putting a price on carbon dioxide, so like your plant being charged because it's being, putting these emissions in the air, that's just such a, it's fraught with controversy. And no, you know, there's a lot of, policymakers that are talking about doing that, but there's no sort of appetite to actually pass it. Yeah. Um, and certainly not in this administration. There's just not, you know, even though there's some very, very smart people, actually some of the smartest proposals I've seen in this are from not the Democratic Party. I'll just put it that way. Um, there's some really, really smart people that have spent a lot of time on the conservative side thinking through the case for this. And unfortunately, a lot of it gets poo-pooed in, in sort of the current... Um, political climate. In the, in the U.S. at least, there are other countries trying, but until you have everyone pulling their weight, it, it's, it's not going to, you're not going to have a tipping point anytime in the near future. I wish I could say <laughs> you will, but mm, not so I sure. I mean, my hope for a very long time now has been uh, not, of course, I'm not an idiot. There isn't a huge role for governments to play. There, of course, is. Uh, I, I don't love the idea of a carbon tax, but I'm not an expert. What the fuck do I know? Uh, what, but my what my hope has been for a long time is that innovation, technology, entrepreneurship, agricultural insight, and, and sort of the free market um, approach would be one that over time could help solve this in a pretty material way without a whole bunch of crazy legislation or, you know, look, I understand why people don't want carbon tax. We don't want mm -hmm. to harm the economy, but at the same time, we don't want to harm the environment. And so how do we walk this line? I, I, I'm not an expert on that. I don't know. But what I've been hoping is that human innovation coupled with entrepreneurship, coupled with greed, people saying, hey, listen, if, if you're the company that figures out how to make the environment better and make money doing it, you might be the next Jeff Bezos. And so I like those incentives, right? As opposed to the tax ones. If we need the tax ones too, look, I'm a big fan of tax credits. Uh, it has frustrated me here in California that there are tax credits for doing solar, but there are no tax credits for doing water capture. That's absolute insanity to me. Uh, you know, so look, yeah, I, you know, I'm not a hundred percent anti-regulation or anti-tax, mm -hmm. but my hope has been that in innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship 
would become a major driver of this because there's opportunity here. Um, and it sounds like you're saying some of that's starting to really gain momentum. Well, so I, th- so again, I, I, and I won't, I, I agree with you. Like I'm not a big fan of taxes and, and like we were talking about the band, you know, bag bands before and having to pay a bag for your bags, you know, as a way of you're penalizing, you shouldn't be penalizing people. You shouldn't be penalizing people for, you know, because they can't do the right thing, but you should be incenting people to do the right things. So I do like the idea of having more of a, a supportive policy environment that, you know, some people are casting as a dividend. If you do these things, you get this money, you know, like, so instead of making it a tax, maybe there's, you know, an incentive for doing this in your operation and you, you change your behavior because you're going to get a tax break. Maybe. I mean, it's just, so I, I think well, what at, does interest at that level, I think that's the government's job is to provide incentive mm-hmm. for people to do what we think is the right thing and disincentive yeah. for people to do what we think is the wrong. A government does that all over the place. Right. Yeah. 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 But right now we fund a lot of, uh, fossil fuels interest in, you know, so really? I guess you think the big, money- big oil is heavily involved in our political process? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Not look, touching that one. <laughs> yeah. But, and again, look, uh, on that one, the flip side of the coin is, of course, if you take oil out of the equation, then like uh, nothing, everything grinds well, to a halt, right? Well, so, yeah. Well, here's a question for, I mean, this is, and this is one of the biggest reasons we can't get um, things to move on the transportation front. What funds road improvements? Well, of course, tax. gasoline taxes. Yeah. So, like, if you, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, like, so it, the whole system is incented to want gasoline cars because if you don't have a gasoline car, where are you going to get the taxes from? You know, mm-hmm. if if more and more individuals use electric vehicles over time, then you're not going to have money to fund the roads. Like, it's just at least in the current way it's framed, you know, it's just, there's a lot of, there's two things that have to change. One is that the, the rules that were put in place for a different world have to be reconsidered and reframed in some way. And then there's the incentives you need to put in place. And, you know, and I, I totally buy that you shouldn't be uh, funding one technology at the expense of another. I actually agree with that. And, and I, but there should be some way of incenting good behavior. I, I, so Anyway, well, and the thing that's I don't kind of- understand about this is I don't understand. Rhodes is a really good example. Mm-hmm. I, I've not understood for a long time why we don't tax usage. Right. So I'm not a big fan of income tax. Well, isn't that called a toll? Well, yeah, but why isn't every road a toll road? I don't know. Why? Like, because, you know, if I well, consume of- a lot of yeah. road, I should I should pay for more of that road, shouldn't I? And like today, I'm somebody who doesn't drive very much. Yeah, I'm not so, either. Uh, I think I should pay less tax for roads because I use them less. But let me ask you a question. If someone has to drive 150 miles to their job because they can't afford to live in the city where they work, they're going to end up paying more to commute. But they have no you choice. See, I like that. I like that. You, we should pay for usage. And if you don't so want to, you want to, to get there by a car, then maybe that'll force trains. You want the person that's cleaning. You want the, the person that cannot live in, near the, in the city that they work because they can't afford it. I think we should pay for use. And I think we should be taxed for mm-hmm. use. 
right? Yeah, I think um, I think the issue. I think the problem that I think I agree with that, but I think it breaks down when you think about who has to do most of the commuting. Like if you look at who's having to drive far, it might not be pe- it might be people that can't afford to live closer. So therefore, you're like you think penalizing that more systemic change. Then yeah. I mean, yeah, or, I, I'm not. I'm not talking about hurting low-income people after. It's not. I think any. But that's. I mean, that's the argument against what you're suggesting because some of them might get. You know, I mean, if I choose well, then, to then the in, other way, maybe there's a multi-pronged approach. One mm-hmm. is tax use, and the other one I'm a big fan of, as opposed to income tax. I'm a big fan of purchase tax. So, <laughs> if you want to lower the overall tax rate, <laughs> increase. Uh, have every road be a toll road and massively increase the taxes on cars, right? So provide me a disincentive to do what you don't want me to do, which is to consume the roads and to buy cars. No. What if I rent my car (laughs) from this idea? What? You're not loving this idea? Of, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm not, not loving this idea. I intellectually agree with you, but I do think that, that some of the individuals that um, use our roads the most may not have a choice, but in, in, you know, they may, I, I think there's an economic, I think there's an income level thing that you have to think about. Um, so I don't know, I don't know how you get around it. And I'm sure that's part but of the wouldn't reason. Wouldn't that provide more incentives for people to use more public transport or alternative transport? And wouldn't that therefore provide um, an increase in demand, which then creates an increase? Uh, sure, if, if you have the train or the, the other thing in place to, to use, sure. Can you take, could I take the train from San Jose to Oakland very easily right now? Uh, I don't think to Oakland, you sure can to San Francisco. Yeah. I'm not sure about the other side of the Bay, but up, up, up and down, you know, from, from San Jose to San Francisco. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. I've looked at, I've looked at the Oakland thing and it takes several hours, <laughs> it takes at least a couple hours. Um, but no, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not disagreeing with you that make every road a toll road, but I do think you would. I think pe- some individuals would penalize un- un- um, unfairly. I'm generally, more if we if we have to live in a world of taxes, which of course we do, I'm generally um, in a mode of tax me for usage, don't tax me for making it. Right? I, I think providing a disincentive to make money is a shitty thing. Um, and then if I want to do certain <laughs> things, if I if I if I want to buy a if I want to use a boat then, you know, tax me for the use of the boat, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like this sort of generic, we're just going to tax you because you made money approach. Well, I don't have money, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 you mean, I have nothing else to say on this topic. You're making on uh, niche down royalties or not, are not doing it for you? <laughs> No, <laughs> not and so, so much, but are, I wasn't relying on them in the first place. Yeah, thank God for that. Um, and so what are the sort of handful of big ahas um, that you'd want the average person who doesn't track sort of the green economy to be aware of these days, Heather? So I would say that uh, one of my big ahas would be that you might not have to buy it. 
Right. You could probably borrow it or rent it or something. Um, so if you if you think you know, I think one of our biggest problems is we as Americans like we're taught to consume. It's like you want to have stuff, you know. But I think that you want to have the status that the stuff gives you. You don't have to own the stuff, right? So you so I would say that one, you know, if you you really need to have something, do you really need to buy it outright? Do you really need to own it? And think about the ways of which you can use it and not necessarily, um, you know, take it and put it somewhere. And then like, it's out of commission. You know, you want, you want this thing to be used as many times as possible in its, in its useful life. Um, the other thing I would say is to look at, you know, I, there's, um, you know, very simple things you can do to decrease your own single use plastic things. I mean, I have like, believe it or not, I have straws in my, my handbag. So I like frown at the people that try to give me plastic straws and I don't give them that hard of a time. I say, I have my own. Thank you so much. I'll use mine. Um, I have my bags in the car and in the trunk and I take them. I also buy, I got my, just recently got myself some mesh um, produce bags, by the way. They have them. You can have, you can see, and they actually keep the stuff fresher in my refrigerator. I would also say that like, if you don't have to put it in a bag, like, could you take a crate with you to the, you know, I just, I feel like there's just simple things you could do. By the way, do you buy water bottles? Um, no, I don't buy bottled. I don't buy uh, bottled water. Bottled although, water. Bottled, I don't buy bottled water. I mean, I don't, you I don't know collectively how to say bottled water. <laughs> bottled water. The one uh, thing, you know, and I don't know if this is any worse or better. Uh, my new thing in this domain is is uh, la croix or la croix. Do you know la croix? Oh, I don't have one on my my desk right now. Yes, uh, I, I, and I've never. I, I have. I actually have another Canadian brand. Oh, yeah, well, Canada Dry. How's but I just had a La Croix, which is now in my recycling bin downstairs. So, so what I, I don't know if these aluminum cans are any better. Um, well, they get, you know, there's a value to them. So they get reused. And that's the other thing on the plastics. You know, there's, there's different, we think of plastic. There's so many different grades of plastic and there's a lot of value in some of it and there's not in others. And that's sort of the big problem is the recycling infrastructure right now is broken. Like they don't know what to do with this stuff that China can't take it anymore or won't take it anymore. What do you do with it? And that's a problem. But, but there's value in, in, there's a, there's, there's good value in yeah. this and other so they material. Get recycled. And so there they is get recycled, they economy get helps us with aluminum, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very well, well established. So I would say that, you know, those are my, my, I guess my biggest thing is if you can do something, do it. I, I think pe- a lot of individuals get par- paralyzed, you know, I can't do this. I can't, I can't be, I can't, I can't be that perfect person. I can't buy a, an electric vehicle. I can't put solar on my roof because of my, I have too many trees. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, okay. Do what you can do. Right. Like just do something it, and, and you'll feel every single little bit that someone can do as an individual is helpful. It doesn't matter if it's like huge, but if we all do small things, it'll add up. Excellent. And it sounds like there's some really big progress being made in this idea of the circular economy is, is a fascinating one. And it sounds like it's an, it's an escalating, uh, it's a giant mega niche that hopefully will be less niche and more broad based over time. Yeah. You have a unicorn now in the circular economy, right? Real. That's exciting. Uh, yeah. 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 So. All right. Anything else you want to touch on Heather? No, other than say have a fantastic, uh, surfing experience the next time you're out on the waves i will i was i was hoping to charge out this morning but i mean there was literally nothing it was just going 
people. <laughs> so, you know, the big difference between surfing and skiing is there, the mountain's always there. <laughs> um, and sometimes the waves are not. <laughs> right, right. All right, Heather. Well, I love you dearly. Uh, please come back more often. Give Joe a big kiss for me. All right, I will. I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation with Heather. Um, and uh, I'm sure you can tell why I'm so fond of her and why I think so highly of her. Now, the folks at DocuSign, who are a publicly traded software company, they wanted to modernize their IT platform and streamline their business. And that's why they turned to NetSuite. Um, as a matter of fact, revenue recognition had become a bottleneck for DocuSign. And um, if you're public, you need to get your arms around this. And frankly, even if you're private, you do. They had a spreadsheet-reliant processes, a process that had grown unmanageable as um, um, DocuSign had reached over 100,000 global customers. And so they wanted an IT platform that could integrate all of its numerous cloud-based systems and uh, discombobulated processes. And that's why DocuSign selected my friends at NetSuite. Because NetSuite allows you to integrate a whole bunch of disparate applications and technologies into one complete suite to run your business in the cloud. DocuSign needed a platform that would let them streamline processes for specific things like budgeting and forecasting, billing, CRM, yes, CRM, and time and expense management. NetSuite is the platform for growing and knowing. And if you want to grow your business and know what's going on, NetSuite's for you. And as a listener to this oddcast, NetSuite is offering you a free one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. To get yourself set up, go to netsuite.com different. That's netsuite.com different. Because if you want to know, if you want to grow, <laughs> you got to know. And that's why you want my friends at NetSuite. All right. We would like to thank the incredible Heather Clancy and uh, a book that she co-authored that I happen to be very fond of <laughs> called Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different. Pick up a couple hundred thousand copies at Amazon.com today. Also, if you're interested in more about the green economy and Heather's amazing writing, um, she also is the editor of GreenBiz.com. Check them out. Green, B-I-Z or Z.com. Uh, my good friends at OneLifeFullyLive.org. This is the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. For more information on our upcoming uh, conference in beautiful Long Beach, California, this October 2019, go to the number one, the word LifeFullyLived.org slash Lockhead for more information. Also, if you're a growth-oriented person or entrepreneur, why not check out growwire.com? That's growwire.com. There's awesome content. There's a YouTube channel. Um, there is um, a fantastic podcast and more. Check out growwire.com. The official sock supplier to this podcast is John's Crazy Socks. Why wear anything boring? Why not wear something fun? Jazz it up. Check out johnscrazysocks.com. And if you want to hear one of the most inspiring entrepreneurial stories ever, check out episode 155 of our prior incarnation called uh, Legends and Losers on Lockhead.com. I also want to tell you about my friends at Rollworks. This is an account-based platform for ambitious B2B marketers so that you can choreograph high-impact, high-performing campaigns. Check out my friends at the word Roll, R-O-L-L, Works, W-O-R-K-S, dot com. Speaking of uh, becoming a legendary marketer, I want to tell you about my new podcast, or podcast, 
Um, it's on marketing. It's called Lockhead on Marketing. And it's actually quite different than this podcast. Um, it's a lot of shorter episodes, uh, very focused. I know that's hard to believe coming from me. <laughs> Each episode is primarily focused on one key topic. Uh, there are some guests coming on Lockhead on Marketing, uh, but it's also an ongoing discussion about what it takes to do legendary marketing. Check it out at Lockhead.com or wherever else you get legendary podcasts. Uh, bottleneck virtual assistants, my friends want to help you leverage the power of a virtual assistant to scale yourself, get more stuff done, and have more of your life back. Check out the word bottleneck, all one word, dot online. The amazing folks at DonorsChoose.org, this is the nonprofit helping to connect the public to schools and make it easy for anyone who wants to make a difference to kids in a classroom to have the tools that they need so that uh, teachers can deliver amazing education to our kids. Check out DonorsChoose.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and uh, all rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that clearly this podcast does get created in a studio that contains nuts. This episode was produced by the legendary Jamie J and Sarah Knox, edited by the incomparable, the guy that does the diving catch on a regular basis, Mike D. Show notes by the uh, outstanding Diane Gervasio, newsletter by Karen Onahog. Analytics by Rowan Nostros and website development by the man himself, Sherwin Amel. Thank you, folks. Don't forget to support your independent podcasters by only free-range pastor-raised eggs. Uh, watch out for aliens. They're coming to get you. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go to James Quincy, CEO of the number one ocean polluting, ocean plastic polluting company in the world world, Coca-Cola. That's right. Coca-Cola dumps more plastic into the ocean than any other company. Sorry, Jimmy. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. And uh, until we're together again, stay legendary. And of course, follow your difference.